Welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Exploring alternative investment opportunities available to the everyday investor. Here's your host, Ben Lakoff. Hello and welcome to the Alt Asset Allocation Podcast. Today's interview is with Devin Finzer. Devin is a co-founder and CEO at OpenSea, which is the largest marketplace for rare items. These rare items on the OpenSea marketplace are non-fungible tokens or NFTs. NFTs are unique, provably scarce, liquid, and usable across multiple applications. So what does this mean? This means that there are NFTs for things like virtual real estate, domain names, virtual art, game items, tickets, etc. There are many different applications for these. In this conversation, we go over the different types of NFTs that are out there and how investors can get involved. This market is exploding right now from a low base, and I'd imagine NFTs will continue to grow in popularity going forward. In episode one with Alex Mesmej, we talked a bit about NFTs, and in this episode, we dive deep into this world. Devin literally wrote the NFT Bible on all things NFTs, so there's loads of value in this episode. Before you listen, please don't forget to like or subscribe to the podcast, or even better, leave a review. This really helps more people find the podcast and keeps this thing going. It really, really helps. If you listen to this and have purchased an NFT before, please give me a shout out. I'm curious how many of my listeners have actually dove down this rabbit hole and experimented with NFTs a bit. Either way, enjoy this conversation with Devin of OpenSea. Good morning, everybody. I'm here with Devin Finster, who's the co-founder and CEO of OpenSea, which is an NFT marketplace. Welcome, Devin. Thanks for having me, Ben. Glad to have you on. I've checked out OpenSea, and you have a lot of really good content on NFTs in general. Just recently in uh, January, you published the NFT Bible, which is the, the, the go-to guide for all things NFT, it looks like. But before we dive into that, I wanted to start a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Yeah. So my background is in software engineering. I studied CS in college, and then I started my career at Pinterest, where I was an engineer on the growth team. So I learned a lot there about kind of growing consumer products, a really interesting company to be part of at that time. It was, And then I left Pinterest to start a small company or startup in the personal finance space that was pretty quickly acquired by a company called Credit Karma, which does free credit scores for US customers primarily and worked there in, in engineering once again. And it was around that time that crypto started getting, you know, pretty like a lot of attention in the tech community. I followed Bitcoin kind of as much as like the average tech person, maybe a little bit more, but never really got super deep into it. But the 2017 wave was brought a lot of people in, myself included, and started sort of exploring all the different lenses from which you can look at the, this trend of blockchain-based assets and you know blockchain-based applications. The lens that I think my co-founder Alex and I were always really excited about was sort of the more of the the broader technical lens. So not just Bitcoin as like this purely financial use case, but you know what are the sorts of applications that can be built that you know go outside of just tokens and speculation and, and sort of monetary side of things. So CryptoKitties was particularly interesting because CryptoKitties was the first game built on blockchain. And so it was basically a game where the, instead of, you know, traditional game where 
some company has the items inside of a database and all of the logic is run on servers. This game moved the items to a blockchain and even ran a lot of the logic of the game on a blockchain. And we thought since CryptoKitties launched, there's been sort of an explosion of other experiments that are of the same ilk as CryptoKitties. And OpenSea is a platform that is very deeply involved in that kind of emerging space of what is now called non-fungible tokens. Awesome. Yeah, great intro. And non-fungible tokens have just exploded. They started with CryptoKitties in 2017, and now there's up to $100 million, over $100 million of value crossed in this space. I'm sure, and that was a couple months ago. I'm sure it's gone up since then. A lot of growth here, and it's pretty unique, I think, that you started diving into NFT space in 2017. Why NFTs? You just really saw CryptoKitties as something new and exciting and wanted to build a business around that. What kind of attracted you to NFTs in the beginning? Yeah, I would say, yeah, a lot of it is kind of just following um you know, things that you're curious about. I mean, for me, it was kind of this interesting combination of factors. Like I, I hadn't really been involved in any gaming related stuff. I mean, I played some video games as a kid and all that, but like, I wasn't deeply involved in that industry. And so I didn't know how interesting it had gotten. Actually, I think the gaming space is even out, like certainly outside of blockchain is a lot of these games are starting to be like really the next social networks. So that was kind of like an interesting trend that I had never really understood before I looked at this particular game, CryptoKitties, which was sort of this like miniature economy around it, right? A highly speculative um, bubble economy, right? But I just thought that was like kind of weird. And, you know, whenever you see something that where like, you know, people are buying, you know, something as crazy as buying digital cats for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It kind of piques your interest. And I think what was exciting about it was, you know, it was kind of an unbundling of all of the different pieces of, of a game economy, right? So instead of, so with a typical game economy, for the most part, like everything happens within this closed ecosystem that that is the game. And with CryptoKitties, you can have things exist like across uh, multiple ecosystems. So for example, you could buy your CryptoKitty and breed it within the CryptoKitties environment, but then of course you can go and sell it on OpenSea. People are even doing crazy things like, you know, making it possible to take loans out on your CryptoKitties. You know, you can have your CryptoKitty in a variety like wallet you use, right? And so it's kind of this opening up of, of a game economy in a really interesting way. So I think that was kind of the thing that inspired us to look deeper and see what were the interesting things that we might want to build in the space. Yeah, I know that games have grown in popularity and I played a few video games, but I left that. But like you were saying, like this in-game ecosystem economy, like Fortnite players alone spend over a billion dollars on skins, which are like clothing and things like that. And that's just within one of these ecosystems. Having something like NFTs that can they can transfer across different ecosystems. In theory, the way that this would work, and this is a little bit into the weeds, but I'm just curious, if you have a crypto kitty, you could, in theory, put that crypto kitty like in Decentraland, like in your house and have him there? Yeah, and in fact, I think that's like possible today. You can kind of, I mean, you know, it's a pretty primitive integration, but you can like display your crypto kitty inside of Decentraland if you want, where this is sort of starting to be 
kind of like like that use case feels a little bit like a, a toy use case. But one one interesting thing that's happening is these sort of art based assets. So think about like an artist just wants to publish their digital art and turn it into an NFT. Well, you might say like, why are you going to buy this piece of digital art? Like what, you know, with a real piece of art, you, you can kind of hang it up in your room. But with an NFT, you can hang it up in your virtual house in Decentraland, right? So it's kind of creating a lot of those pieces that make real physical assets valuable, but sort of replicating them in the digital world. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, let's pull back a second just to make sure that my underst- uh, my listeners fully understand. Yeah. What is an NFT? How is this different than fungible tokens like Ethereum, Bitcoin? Because a lot of times these things are just grouped as crypto things. And these are very, very different. And you know, based on what you've published, you have a very good understanding. Walk me through like I'm a very new person investor to the space. I'm interested in NFTs. What are they? How they're different? Why I, I should be interested? Sure. So with a cryptocurrency, a token like Ethereum or Bitcoin or any of the tokens that are built on top of Ethereum, which are called ERC-20 tokens. The idea is that you have a supply of these tokens and you can kind of trade them around. And so that's what the concept of fungibility is sort of this concept where you can interchange uh, multiple of the same thing and they're, they're basically interchangeable. So well, what's interesting is, you know, most of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that we deal with in the real world is not like that. It's not like a currency, right? If I have a piece of artwork, for example, I can't just swap it for another piece of artwork. It's it's unique, right? And so the the NFT, which stands for non fungible token, introduces this type of unique asset into the blockchain world. And the first of that was CryptoKitties, where each CryptoKitty had a unique identifier, almost like a serial code. And you know you couldn't just swap one CryptoKitty for another because you know they're very different, right? Now, I, th- I think one, one note that I will say is that I don't think that NFTs are like a completely different world than cryptocurrencies. They're all of the same nature, right? They're all these blockchain-based digital assets. And blockchain-based digital assets come with these very exciting properties. So the exciting properties include the ability to set a certain number of supply associated with these assets. So that's true about Ethereum, that's true about Bitcoin, and that's true about CryptoKitties. Um, according to the smart contract, there's only a certain number of CryptoKitties that will ever exist. They come, so blockchain-based digital assets also come with the ability to trace the history of an asset. That comes with Ethereum, that comes with Bitcoin, that also comes with CryptoKitties. So this is just another way, uh, this is just another type of digital asset that's being represented on the blockchain. And it happens to be one that's you know, very, very broad and has a lot of use cases. So game items was sort of the first one. But if you think about all of the other digital assets that you sort of own in your life already, you could think about domain names, right, as a digital asset that you own. You could think about an event ticket. You could think even about like a Twitter handle or an Instagram handle as a non-fungible digital asset. So the design space for these sorts of digital assets is quite wide and and quite unexplored at the moment. Yeah, there's tons of these, right? Anything that's provably scarce, liquid, usable across multiple applications, these are kind of the qualities that NFTs have that make them so desirable. We have things like virtual real estate, domain names, art, 
games, tickets, game items. What are the most popular, most common, highest growth you're seeing within those subgroups? Right. Well, I think it's definitely started with gaming. I would say the virtual worlds category is one of the more exciting ones right now. So with virtual worlds, the the projects are kind of structured such that you have a virtual land that you own inside of the virtual world. Um, so you can buy a parcel of land and then you can sort of build something on top of that. So the projects that allow for this are Decentraland, CryptoVoxels, Somnium Space, and the sandbox. So these are all sort of virtual world projects. And I think one of the reasons they're particularly interesting is, you know, the it's it's a nice analog to the real estate market where, you know, there's sort of this speculative environment around acquiring land that's close to certain areas in the world. It's sort of the foundations for it feels like kind of a it's the first piece of one of these really interesting virtual worlds. And so that's kind of where we've seen the most volume over the last couple of years. But I would also say that there are some interesting use cases or or interesting trends happening in the digital art space. So what's interesting about this is it doesn't require like a complex or well thought through game economy. It's really just an artist coming and saying, I'm going to create something digital, I'm going to tokenize it, and I'm going to sell it. And, you know, my people who like it can buy it and then they can resell it on a secondary market. And as I mentioned, they could show it off inside of one of these virtual worlds. And that that use case has started to be pretty interesting. A lot of artists are getting really excited about this. A lot of collectors are, but we are seeing really interesting growth. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I think these two use cases are really interesting fits. Actually, maybe there's a third one that I'll talk about in a second, but is that they don't sort of require uh, really high frequency trades. They, they're t- typically bigger value assets. So a lot of this land sells for more than a thousand, sometimes, you know, sometimes often in the uh, $100,000 range if it's something really valuable. But that means that, you know, if you kind of dig into how the blockchain works, it's really slow right now and, and really expensive to move things around. And so the, the sort of lower tier assets aren't quite as good of a fit for the technology as these sort of high tier assets. And then the last, the last category that I think is pretty exciting right now, if you're familiar with sort of a traditional domain name like google.com, these, there's vibrant markets for these already. The centralized domain names kind of come in a variety of flavors, but the, the basic, one of the basic building blocks is just the ability to have your wallet address have a human readable name associated with it. So instead of sending Ethereum or another token to a string of uh, letters, you would, or non-readable letters, you would send it to devin.eth or something like that, right? Or ben.eth. And these are, this is sort of one of those building blocks for the blockchain-based economy that you know, is necessary for it to achieve a more of a mainstream um, audience. So I think that's a that's another area that we're seeing a lot of excitement. Awesome. And yeah, I want to dive into each of those. With land, I mean, I think this makes sense, right? Right now we're recording this. It's the mid-August and 
it's like 200 guay to make a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain. If you're not buying something for $10,000, like the, the transaction cost is a significant portion of the price, like you said. Yeah, these things selling for like 100K, this is, uh, this is wild. People purchasing digital real estate, virtual land, this is a bet that these virtual worlds become something much bigger, obviously. Is the end game there, like sort of a ready player one sort of world where you own your land and you build your 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 place there? And, you know, I, I even know a guy, the guy behind Decentral Games, which owns and operates a casino in Decentraland. It's a virtual business in a virtual world. Is this kind of the bull case for virtual real estate? Yeah, I would say, yeah, kind of the Ready Player One vision uh, or something, you know, kind of like that. I think, you know, we, we've we seen how exciting and interesting these virtual economies can be with projects like Fortnite and older projects like Second Life, which I don't know uh, how many folks have are familiar with that, but it was basically this, you know, this giant virtual world where you had it, it had its own currency. People had shops where they were selling, uh, it's still still around, sorry, but people had shops where they were, they're selling fashion items or, you know, it's basically kind of limited by the, the economics of like a, a pretty centrally controlled system, right? And something like Decentraland or CryptoVoxels has the potential to be a much bigger and wider economy than just sort of what could be created by a specific platform. So I think it comes with the advantages of sort of being able to bring in any other blockchain-based digital asset. And it, you know, it comes with this, you know, very native ability to buy and sell things inside of the world and, you know, participate in real, the real sort of economic underpinnings of the, of the world. So, so yeah, I think, I, I do think that, you know, people who are buying this land, now are sort of betting on these virtual worlds expanding but it's really hard to say like what's what's a good price for a piece of virtual land because you know kind of similar to bitcoin right back when bitcoin started you know it wasn't clear that it would become as huge as it was today and i think similarly you could make the argument that a lot of these virtual worlds have the potential to become quite massive and that you know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars for a piece of piece of land is actually a steal. So, I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of it's really just just the beginning of a lot of these things. Yeah, these are very very interesting. This fits in perfectly with the alternative investments. Doesn't get much more alternative <laughs> than that. You're investing in a yeah. digital, a digital real estate in a digital world, virtual world that's. Yeah completely uncensorable and decentralized and ever decentralized in every way there's a lot of highly speculative these interviews are always plastered with disclaimers because this is not yeah. investment advice highly speculative and i think that would probably be a good segue i mean what are what are the bear cases what are the headwinds for these sorts of things and just perhaps virtual real estate because it's kind of the biggest right now all of these things are built on top of Ethereum. Obviously, if Ethereum doesn't scale and, and sort out these things promised with ETH2, that's a lot of headwinds. But what, what key risks do you see with these sorts of things? 
Yeah, I mean, I think sort of platform risk, as we're already starting to see the Ethereum network is getting clogged, and that's resulting, you know, in in a lot of the lower value items just not being worth it to purchase. I guess one kind of interesting note on that is I, I don't think, I think these sort of applications like Decentraland and CryptoVoxels and and other games will be able to abstract over the blockchain layer, right? So I think just because the virtual land in a particular game happens to be um, on Ethereum at the moment doesn't mean you couldn't have a system that allows you to take your land and put it into a different chain, trade it there, and then, you know, or, or even do a full migration to another chain. That's not out of the question, Is, it, but it is certainly like, you know, it's it's a friction point and it's, so honestly, I would say platform risk associated with like Ethereum is is probably the, the biggest one at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, there's potentially like, you know, an existential risk around like, well, I guess, I guess sort of the, the broader lens there is the question of whether or not blockchains in general can sort of support what consumers want from these virtual worlds versus sort of more of the, the centralized approach where, you know, there is clearly demand for these, these virtual experiences, but they, you know, you could make the argument that the, the centralized platforms like Fortnite are just better positioned to kind of expand their virtual worlds and, and sort of these grassroots approaches just you know, I, I do think like at the end of the day, these experiences do have to be um, compelling and fun and like real games sort of that people want to play. And there has to be a reason to want to spend time in some of these worlds. And I can see it being challenging for a lot of these companies to like build that beyond sort of the early adopter consumer base. But overall, I mean, I would say that I'm pretty bullish on virtual worlds, like long-term and, and certainly non-fungible tokens and digital assets on blockchains long-term. I just, I think that, you know, what I foresee as likely is that, you know, over the next year, there are going to be a lot of technical challenges associated with getting these things to work on top of scalable chains and just a lot of back and forth between sort of the infrastructure layer and the, and the app layer. But I'm not as I'm not particularly bearish on like on there not being demand for these sorts of things because I think we we have seen a lot of uh, excitement around them the last couple of years. Is there is there platform risk in decentraland and crypto voxels that they actually build this like you said this land that people want to spend time in? I mean, you're basically hitching your horse to to them, right? That they can build this thriving game similar to Second Life or Fortnite that people want to go to. And then, you know, that virtual real estate has more value that there's quite a bit of platform risk there, right? Right. Yeah. So you're definitely taking a bet on like the, the crypto voxels team continuing to build out. Right. And I mean, as an interesting example, like there were people who took that bet really early on and, and CryptoVoxels started, CryptoVoxels was a lot smaller team than Decentraland. It was actually just one guy. Um, and he just started, he just put up some land for sale on OpenSea and said, you know, I'm doing this project. If anyone wants to buy it, it was like 0 0.1, 0 0.2 ETH. And, you know, some people got excited about it and bought it. And now I think like 
almost two years later, the lowest land or lowest prices on land are like one or two ETH now, right? And so those people who kind of decided to back the project have really like benefited from from getting in early and sort of nurturing the project and that type of thing. But certainly like, yeah, there's there's this existential risk that the crypto voxel developer just decides that he doesn't want to continue developing it. That being said, I think we've seen a lot of really interesting um, things happen in those sorts of scenarios where, you know, this community of a couple thousand people, they'll sort of rally the troops and like continue the project. And I think that's pretty interesting. So we've seen that with a couple like really small games. It hasn't really manifested itself in like a, a big way, but that is one you know, thing I could I can see happening is that if the original developers kind of decide not to continue that the community picks it up again. And also I would say that it's not just a bet on sort of the developer of the platform. It's a bet on all of the people who are going to like build content on that uh, platform, right? Like so all of the they people have building. a stake to have it continue on as well, right? Exactly. So it's like this quasi decentralized uh, system. I think in DeFi or decentralized finance right now, because everything is on chain, um, we're seeing these like real, like I think last night or maybe it was two days ago, we saw a, a protocol basically like vote itself into fixing a bug uh, to, to save like these yield farming. I don't know, I don't really follow that closely, but and then I think it didn't end up working. But like we, we've seen these communities where like people will, because they have this ownership stake, they'll work to get things built and fixed, which I think is pretty interesting. But it's it's definitely sort of a hybrid right now, since you know the the main developers of the project are in some have some degree of control over its destiny. Yeah, and I think that's what excites me a lot about this space in general is the idea. You know, even with governance tokens, right? It's like I'm. I own a bit of the protocol and I, I have a say in the way that the protocol decides its decision-making going forward. I'm going to fight for it. I have a financial stake in incentivizing me to keep this thing living on. The more people that buy real estate and build things and have a stake in this system, the better. But this leads me to thinking, you know, somebody like Epic Games or whoever owns Second Life is they already have this distribution, this massive group of people. What's to stop them from just saying in a purely centralized manner, which is fine, you know, for the gamer, it is what it is, but hey, you can buy this land. We're gonna launch this secondary market where you can sell it, you can put up art, you know, taking these interesting little niche experiments from the NFT world and just implementing them in a centralized manner within their games is this something that they've done if not why because they could well, right yeah i mean i would say that that's pretty much a virtual world where you know you could buy and sell land i believe you could buy and sell all sorts of things it was just you know it was constrained right by sort of what you know you couldn't it wasn't possible to bring in art from some other application easily and it wasn't possible to take a loan if, if you want to take a loan out on your land or something like that like i don't know how you, you you wouldn't be able to do that and the supply of uh currency was you know the centrally controlled sort of central bank of, of the world and 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 also i mean at, at the time like you know it was, it was a lot i think second life sort of was popular maybe in the early 2000s 
don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely sure, but it was a very different like experience that we have with like you can go directly into it in a browser and things like that. So so that also constrained the audience a little bit too. But yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you for well a couple things, right? Like the big centralized game economies, there or game developers, they're not incentivized to give community their communities full ownership over this, right? Because they already have work, well working business models just selling items. And they can they can build secondary marketplaces. Sometimes they decide not to because it's not in their interest, right? They they'd rather just sell more supply. And so they're not really like from a so so sort of from a business model perspective and like and also a tech perspective, they're not really set up for this like real community owned economy. And while they could transition to it, it doesn't seem clear to me that a company like CryptoVoxels is starting fresh. And so they can kind of play around with these brand new business models. And you know, they're not for example, like if if Epix decided to make something like CryptoVoxels, it would just be like, you know, an infinitesimally small portion of their revenue per year. But for CryptoVoxels, it's you know, it's kind of what's driving the project forward. So certainly like I think there's nothing stopping bigger companies from sort of adopting the same things that are popular in sort of the NFT world. And there's nothing really stopping them from, you know, going full blockchain, but it's kind of classic innovators dilemma in that they don't, you know, it's not clear that the incentive to do so exists right now. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, the NFT backed loans I had this conversation with Alex Mesmesh and it's, it's a fascinating space. I mean, like, like you said in the very beginning, like how do you value these things and the fact that you're giving a loan based on them, but you know, you do it with a normal home with a home equity line. So doing this with the virtual version is really, really interesting. I'm curious with non-fungible tokens uh, and you have a section in your NFT Bible about this, what are the myths around NFTs that you see most often? Well, I think one sort of thing that could be categorized as a, as a myth is this idea that, you know, that it's a good idea to abstract away and hide the blockchain from your users entirely and sort of create this like completely centralized selling, but the user never really works with the blockchain. And I think the reality is that if you, if you do that, like, it's a lot easier to just use a centralized database. And, you know, as, as we've talked about in this podcast, like we've had digital assets for a really long time. There's nothing stopping you from building a normal centralized digital asset. And if you want, if you have a good idea for a game or a, a digital asset, like you should go ahead and build that. But if you want sort of blockchain components to it, then you have to, at some point sort of, let your users experience that that true ownership and the ability to sell their asset on secondary marketplaces and, and things like that. Otherwise, like you kind of did a lot of you you did a lot of work to use a really slow system and a slow database for kind of no no benefit. And I I think it's it's a challenge because you know by going the blockchain path you're, you're taking a pretty big risk. But what's interesting is that you get a lot of things built for you. So for example, if you look at CryptoVoxels, again, it was one, a one-man team. And really the main thing he focused on was building a really great virtual world experience. He didn't build a marketplace. He just kind of left that to open markets. He didn't build a wallet, right? He just left that to MetaMask. 
and he can really focus on this one piece of his application. And I think that's that's kind of what is exciting about this space is you don't have to build everything. So what I would say is like, if you if you're going to build everything, then you know you might as well not use use blockchain. Okay. Yeah, and I'll link to it in the show notes. I think that's a that's an important one. I'm curious, what sort of investors are most interested in these right now? These are people looking to flip, and they're just gambling, or they're what kind of mix of investors do you see getting involved in the space? Yeah, I would say it's sort of. I mean, it's more of like the the tech savvy crowd that is sort of aware of what is exciting about these digital assets as opposed to kind of what we saw with ICOs or maybe even DeFi right now, where it was primarily people who are like really interested in it just from a flipping or investment perspective. I think because the space is kind of so brand new and early, your level of effort and savviness to trade these assets, right? You can't just kind of like buy token and hope it goes up. You have to like make sure that you're buying like a good piece of real estate and understand how the product works. And so there's less of like just the pure speculator crowd, I think involved right now. And it's also just a, a much smaller market at the moment. So, so there is the, the sort of investor speculator. There's also like the builder crowd and, and that's really interesting in the, in the virtual lands space. So as you mentioned, there's the central games, which is building casinos on top of virtual uh, on top of Decentraland and there's people building like museums on top of crypto voxels. So people are just buying land to legitimately, they want to build something and, you know, host an event there. And that's I think so that's cool. really awesome. That's- yeah. And, and then there's of course, you know, people who are engaging in like the very specific games because they want to, you know, play the game, for example. So there's a couple, or there's a good number of trading card games where, you know, they're basically, they have these blockchain-based trading cards. You can trade them around and then you can also play play a game with them and, you know, in order to show off or like have a rare card in your deck or something that maybe is just cosmetically valuable but has value inside of the gaming ecosystem, you'd want to purchase that. Um, and then the, I think the, the probably the most interesting and sort of mesmerizing uh, group is like the, the art collector crowd who is really like, you know, I guess a combination of an investor and like a curator and those folks, you know, I think they buy things because they think it looks cool. They want to show it off or eventually be able to show it off. And they kind of think that it might go up in value in the future. So it's kind of the sort of the same mentality one might have when they buy physical art. So yeah, I would say it's kind of like my sense, you know, it's hard to say, but is that it's a bit of a hodgepodge of all these different pieces. I like it. It's certainly a a niche market right now. What catalysts or events need to happen or the space would greatly benefit from having to get some more exposure, get more people interested in it? What kind of series of events would be just a perfect windfall for the industry NFT space? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I mean, my perspective is I, I think a... I think it's going to be really hard for NFT specifically to on on a theory or at least like on a theory as it, as it looks right now. So I think sort of the recipe for these things breaking out of the sort of early adopter phase is 
there, I think there needs to be a, a much lower cost, higher throughput chain that develops a significant network effect around it. So that has like a marketplace on it and a good set of games building on it. It's sort of what we saw with Ethereum, but almost all over again uh, and learning from kind of some of the challenges there. It, it needs to have like an art platform on it too. It needs to have really usable wallets and on ramps into into crypto that that work really well and could you know create enough excitement and um enough momentum to really like get a lot of developers and a lot of artists and a lot of creators on board i do think that a lot of what's holding the space back is really the costs associated with these things and the and, and then i think it's costs like the fact that it's so hard to get cryptocurrency in the first place it typically requires going to Coinbase. A lot of the fiat onboarding solutions still require pretty aggressive KYC. So, so those two ingredients, I think, really are, in my opinion, preventing people from engaging and like getting excited, and then and then you know getting entrepreneurs to build new things on top of these digital assets. So, I mean, my, you know, one way that could play out is that a brand new blockchain sort of somehow develops a little bit of that critical mass and then just goes from there. Or I think, in my opinion, less likely, but it's possible Ethereum will be able to provide the right scaling solutions on top of it that allow this to happen on Ethereum. But personally, I'm a little bit less optimistic about that sort of scenario. Okay, that makes sense. And I'll, I'll avoid going down that rabbit hole because we could probably talk for, for hours on that. All of these these fundamental building blocks are coming, right? It's just taking taking time. Still bullish on NFTs and the crypto space in general. Where would you recommend investors? They've gotten over the, the idea of they want to invest in NFTs. Where would you recommend them to start? Yeah, I mean, I think checking sort of our our rankings page on OpenSea is a kind of interesting way to start. You can see what are the top projects that are trading by volume. We're, we're going to be adding more and more tools for kind of viewing price history over time, kind of understanding the markets. And then, you know, looking at some of those top projects and reading in to what, like, what's exciting about them and finding, you know, I think, I, I guess the first thing I would say is like, trying out all the projects that you can before you like purchase anything just going and you know playing around with crypto fossils playing around with the central and seeing whether it excites you or not and you know i think you should view any sort of investment in this space as like a extremely high risk investment and you know something and you know potentially in some of the assets not even really as much of an investment is more just something that you might want to acquire to, to do something interesting and could kind of double as an investment. So I think that's a that's a good place to start. I think also just trying out sort of some of the basics of the the wallet primitives. So I highly recommend sort of exploring the Ethereum name service and unstoppable domains projects, which are both these sort of decentralized domain name assets. And you can kind of get a sense for like, you know, why is this interesting and why is this important? I think Twitter is also a pretty interesting source of um, information in the space. I would say that like, and I think this has kind of been true for a lot of things 
typically doesn't work because things move so fast. So like if you try to Google like some of these new DeFi protocols, you'll just get a bunch of like really surface level stuff that yeah. doesn't help you really yeah, good luck googling yams and figuring out what that is. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so i think you know finding sort of the key projects on twitter to to follow and like you know keep a close tab on there's i guess that i would recommend off hand are there's a guy named andrew steinwald also called zima red who writes really interesting content on the space there's another one that comes to mind is DeFi Arts Intelligencer. I think he has a pretty cool newsletter. I think all the main projects, so OpenSea, Super Rare, Rarible, Maker's Place, are good ones to follow and kind of stay up to date with. Awesome. Yeah, and I'll definitely link all of those in the show notes. Those are great. I, I, I want to dive into OpenSea itself and what you guys are working on. You had your own personal finance company that was acquired by Credit Karma or Credit Sutra. Credit Sutra. Uh, credit um, Karma. Yeah. Credit Karma. And then you worked in growth at Pinterest. I'm curious the growth strategies for something like OpenSea, which is a big educational aspect, I would imagine, versus these more traditional companies. What key differences do you see that strategies that you're using that are that are so different than the traditional consumer space? Yeah, I would say it's pretty different um, from the consumer space. I don't think anyone has really, well, I think, yeah, I, I guess you could say some people have cracked it to some extent, but I mean, I think, you know, for one, with something like Pinterest or a social network or like more of a consumer, a regular consumer app, you know, you're dealing with like a big market and sort of figuring out how to tap into the desires of people in that market. I think it's kind of the opposite here. You're dealing with like a very small market, but like a pretty passionate and pretty like tech savvy um, user base that's like willing to put up with a little, a little more than like a, a typical person who, because there are, to be frank, they're already putting up with a ton by like using crypto in the first place. And I think eventually that will change, but I think that is kind of the reality at the moment is that, you know, most of these folks are, you know, pretty deep into the, the crypto space already and kind of, of the power user uh, type. So, yeah, I mean, I think, we we haven't we've we've been pretty focused on kind of building features for those power users and like as opposed to trying to make it like really easy for regular people to sign up and we're going to be shifting over towards the latter soon but i just think it hasn't really made sense yet but at the same time we do and and then i think or i think the other thing that's really challenging is just sort of the complexity of the space as a whole like you know i think the probably the biggest example is the fact that gas prices are 250 quay and that kind of affects every single dap and there's not really there's things you can do about it but there's not really anything you can do to like really solve it right and and those sorts of things just it's really challenging to deal with and so it's i would say it's it's such a nascent space that you know i think the reality is you kind of have to build for the early adopter at the moment. But but as I said, I think that that could change relatively soon. Yeah, that makes sense. And can you share any stats on OpenSeas? This is a marketplace for all NFTs. Do you have a stats page I could I could direct people to or anything you can share? Yeah, there's so the rankings page kind of has 
that's OpenSea.io slash rankings that has sort of all the volume across various across the various NFTs in terms of kind of stats for for OpenSea as a whole. I believe we've now hit 100,000 ETH in uh, trading volume. We have over 700 different projects that are listed on our platform and available. There's over 13 million unique NFTs that we index and allow you to browse, search, actually over 15 million um, that we allow you to sort of discover and search. So yeah, it's definitely like kind of early, but growing space. And I think it's a really interesting time to, to get involved in it. I read in one of your posts, the way that you explained OpenSea back in the day was eBay for CryptoKitties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How do you explain it now to like a normal person? Right. Well, so, I mean, I think to because of that, or, or like along those lines, like, I think if you're explaining a crypto startup, you really have to know you want to like tailor it to different groups of people right so if someone knows about crypto kitties ebay for crypto kitties is a good explanation because they know crypto kitties is kind of this non-fungible token and then it's like oh cool you could build like an ebay for all of those sort of things right um, so that was a nice succinct way of explaining to someone who was like pretty deep into crypto and i also think like in general they're they're sort of like this really wide spectrum of like crypto awareness right now because of all the things that are happening and all the things and, and because things are moving really fast. So like on one side of the spectrum, obviously you have people who, who like maybe don't know about Bitcoin, but that's a pretty small group, right? And then you have people who know about Bitcoin, but not anything else. Then you have people who know about like Bitcoin and Ethereum and like maybe some of the other coins. Then you have people who know about like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and like dApps. And that's like another level, right? And then they're like, then you could maybe talk to them about gas. And then you have like people, you know, maybe who know about Ethereum, gas, DeFi, and like that. And then like, you know, even further along, you have people who know about yield farming and like, (laughs) like crazy stuff like that. So you have this, I mean, if you think about that spectrum, like you've gone from, no, like no awareness of crypto to like all learning about all of these various things and like yield farming and DeFi and the gap is just so wide and the gap between even like someone in the tech community who knows about Bitcoin and Ethereum and the yield farming community is like crazy wide right so anyway that was kind of a tangent but I think you kind of have to tailor depending on where someone is in that spectrum to a regular person, like who maybe knows about Bitcoin, but not anything else. I would say that we're an eBay for digital stuff um, where digital stuff includes things like event tickets, domain names, game items that you can trade outside of the place where you bought it. So you can resell it on OpenSea. I think that, you know, going into a little bit of depth and like why this digital stuff is different than you know, the typical game item. I think that as long as the individual has like some degree of experience with online games or, or some sort of digital asset usually is a pretty good, it's, it's good enough to kind of get them aware of like what we're working on. Get them aware of it and send you down a 30 minute conversation on why <laughs> NFTs are the big next big thing I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. 
Speaking of the next big thing, wanted to touch just briefly on roadmap, things that are coming up for OpenSea. So I saw that you recently secured $2.1 million in funding in November of last year. Congrats on that. What else do you guys have planned coming up? What, what gets you most excited? Well, so uh, a big thing we're working on right now is kind of completing a, a substantial redesign of the site that we think will make it a lot easier for people to view sort of the price history associated with different assets. We like browse different stuff, just, you know, a lot of like small things that users have been kind of complaining about and, and that are a bit confusing for, for people who are newer to the site. So that's kind of one of our big priorities at the moment. The other big area that we're starting to invest in is going cross chain. So being able to support NFTs that exist on chains outside of Ethereum. And yeah, we were, we're pretty excited about that because we've already seen some, some good traction around NFTs on other chains. And we think ultimately that OpenSea will have to be a, a cross-chain platform. So we're, we're starting to invest in that pretty heavily. And then the last thing is an initiative we're calling OpenSea Drops, which is sort of a way for us to work more directly with our partner projects. So we work with tons of games, tons of artists, tons of people who are building NFTs. And this, is, this will allow them to kind of launch their NFTs to our audience in more of an exciting way. So we're lining up a few partners for that, for our first kind of drop of content coming up in October, sorry, in September. So yeah, those are the kind of the main things. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's education, right? So you're doing these spotlights on Decentraland, this is the value proposition, then it generates more interest in those properties on your platform. Yeah. I think that's that's a really good move. Devin, really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. I think it's very interesting, everything about NFTs in general and everything you're working on at OpenSea. If you want to leave my listeners with any last thoughts or where they can follow you, find out more about OpenSea, where would that be? Sure. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenSea. My Twitter is dfinzer. You can, and then the website is OpenSea.io. Awesome. I'll link all, all those in the show notes. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Devin. Thanks for having me. There you have it. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate your support. Show notes, transcript, links, and more can be found on our website at altassetallocation.com. If you'd be so kind, please share this with anyone you think might be interested or get some value from this conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out. I'm always happy to hear them. Lastly, if you're on YouTube, please like the video or subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, please subscribe to the podcast and or leave a review. This really helps more people find the podcast, and I really appreciate it. Thanks again, and hope you have a fantastic day. Happy investing.